All right, good morning. Allow me to rearrange some furniture. Glad you're here. This is the last week in this series that we've, um, we've spent some time on, on promises and what is it that God tells us that's true, we can bank on, we can count on it. He's, he's promised it to us. And, um, and we have spent several weeks on this, and I, I would say this, you know, we're, we're really looking forward to, to Adventum in a couple weeks, and we're looking forward to, to this, that spiritual journey. And at the same time, I really have felt over, over this summer, I've really felt that God's been moving, and some of the questions that we've been asking as we wrestle with, with this intersection of what God tells us is true, what we can count on, but also, and at the very same time, um, the, the, the questions and the needs that we have in our life, okay? And so, um, so today, today, we kind of an anchoring question, okay? And it's this, is life ever going to be good, okay? I'm going to start with a, a little bit of a downer. Is life ever going to be good? And I don't know if you're like me, but I have this tendency, it's, I, I'm, I'm a born pessimist, okay? I confess. But I have this tendency to focus on the negative. I have this tendency to feel like around every turn is going to be some new malady. Okay? I have this, this tendency when, when news starts to get away from us, when it starts to go bad for my mind, my brain to go you know, 30,000 steps from now and, and to imagine how, how bad things are going to be when, when all of these events play out. That's, that's my burden. Okay? You may or may not be like me, okay? You and I may or may not share that in common. But even if you're not a, a, sort of an extreme pessimist like I am in my, in my natural flesh, it, it, even if you're not, it's, it's probable, okay? It's probable that, that you struggle with this, this question or doubts about whether or not life is going gonna, is gonna to be any better than it is now? Is, are, things, are things going to be better tomorrow than they are today? Or are we just sort of stuck with the way things are? are my current, am, I, am I bound by my current circumstances or my current life in certain ways that mean that this is, this is as good as it's going to be? Okay? And we believe the scriptures speak into that. Okay? And God's made promises about it. And so, so we're going we're gonna to get into that today. I want to, and I want to start with, with this phrase. Have you seen this phrase around, the best version of yourself? Has, has anybody seen this? There's books by this title, and there's this all kind of stuff. But there's this, this thing that's kind of in the water culturally. Um, there's this thing that's in the water that's sort of like, like you, there, you have potential, okay? And for whatever reason, your potential isn't being recognized, and, and somehow, whether it's you or, or circumstances or whatever it is, you, you've got to kind of overcome whatever's happening in order to, to have to be the best version of yourself. To, you, we may say, live the best life possible, okay? And, um, and so there's, there's all kinds of lists about this, but, but one I think that is fairly prominent, and I'll talk about the source of this in just a minute, has a 10-step process, a 10-step process for a, a better life. Or maybe it's not necessarily steps, but sort of like ingredients or practices of the best version of yourself. So they say things like, make the next right move. Sort of like, focus on just what's in front of you. Don't get too far down the road. I could use that advice, okay? When you see an opportunity, take it. Forgive yourself. Never stop improving. Go as hard as you can. These are, th- these are like fortune cookies, right? Like, you know, I, I, you read these and they're, they're very pithy. They're very, like little, little tiny little 21st century proverbs. Don't just dream, just believe, okay? 
It's great. Remember that people are more alike than they are different. Good advice, okay? Find your purpose. Keep yourself grounded, centered. Try to remember that everything will be okay, okay? It's a great list. It's, I think, you know, this is, this is what the internet is for these days, right? This and, and you know, videos of cats, of course. But, but this is, we see lists like this. Well, this, this list comes from a specific place, a specific person, and um, it's Oprah's list, okay? We know her, right? This is Oprah's list to being the best version of yourself. How can you be successful? Well, here's 10 things that I, Oprah, have discovered, okay? And here's the thing. When I look at the list, the truth is, right? Like, I don't know that I necessarily disagree with stuff that's up there. It's good advice, okay? But, but I also, you know, look at the list and I look at the source and I double back because here's the thing. Oprah and I live very different lives, This may come as a shock to you, okay? But we live very different lives. And my guess is that you also live a very different life from Oprah, okay? And so this, to me, I read this, and I know there's a lot of people, folks who love Oprah. This really isn't to to condemn her advice. Again, like I said, I don't see anything in there that I necessarily, like, really want to assail and preach against. But, But she's, like, I bet, I bet that her gutters aren't leaking right now, right? Like, I bet... I bet that there probably isn't dirty laundry on the floors in her house, okay? I bet that she doesn't have stains in her carpet, okay? I bet she didn't drop the keys this morning and, like, knock her head trying to pick them up, okay? Because I doubt she even drives herself, right? There's just sort of a different life that's lived there. And, And there's something kind of in us when we start to think about what's the best life, what's the the best version of myself. Do you, do you have, it may not be Oprah, but do you, do you ever just sort of superimpose your life over someone else's and think, now that would be the best version of me. That would be the best life. That would be great. If I had their life, I, yeah, maybe you don't. Awesome. But I find myself all the time asking myself, why, why, are, why are they ahead? What, what is it that got them to that place? Why, why is it that they seem to have success and, and I'm just struggling and toiling and, and I've just kind of... Maybe Oprah would agree with me on this. Maybe she would say the same thing and maybe others that are in those positions who put out 10-point 10, 10 lists that tend to make me feel guilty. Um, maybe they would agree with this statement too, but I just want... This is more what I feel. Life is difficult, Right? It just is. It's difficult. And we're faced all the time. We're faced with deep longing, and it's intermixed with deep pain. There's just things that if I like went back in time and talked to the younger version of myself and said, yeah, this is the way it's going to go, there's, I, I, I'd say, like, but that's not my dream at that age. That's not, that's not how I would have envisioned myself having the best life possible, the best version of me. I just, sort of, I just sort of wrestle with this question of, is it possible, is it, is it real, is it likely for us to actually sort of have this thing that we, we, we all kind of reckon with as the good life, Okay? The good life, it's, it's sort of pulled out of a, a 50s or 60s black and white sitcom, right? 
where the only bad kids around are the neighbor kids, not your kids, right? Where, where we, we come home and, and, and things just kind of go as planned in the house, where mom and dad just love each other and, oh, there's, there's disagreements, but they're always worth a laugh and it's never that serious. It's not like, it's not like what I go through where, my sin comes out and, 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 and I'm giving my wife the silent treatment for a day because of some minor offense. and My flesh just is cast all over her. And I, I question this. Is, this. is this possible? Is it real? And, and, and I think we wind up with, with cer- certain circumstances and, and we have different responses. And, and if you'll indulge me today, there's going to be some, some bigger words that we may not talk about on a regular basis. But I'll, I'll explain this. When, we, when we're faced with the difficulty of life, some of us respond with cog, a cognitive response, a response of our mind, okay? A co- we, 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 we think, we go, to, we go into a, a pattern of thinking where we try to distance ourselves from our disappointment or distance ourselves from our pain and our longings by giving some kind of perspective. So I reason away the difficulty of my life. And I, I'll say things like, like well, if I, had, if, I, if I were a less virtuous person, I could pursue all those things in the world and have them too. But I'm better than that. I have more perspective. I'm, I'm, I don't have to feel it because I've made conscious choices to be who I am, right? And I'm told all in the world around me to be proud of that. And so I kind of distance myself from the longings and distance myself from the pain by, by in my mind, creating a gap a gap between the life that, that I would have longed for and sort of the, the trouble that, that I experience or the difficulty that I experience. But we also have some affective responses. These are not responses of the mind. These are responses of the gut, okay? That's affective, we, that we feel, okay? And in our affective responses, we tend to use avoidance with the pain. And so, so we tend to say, I don't like the way this feels and I want to feel different. And so I'm going to, I'm just going to, tune out, and I'm going to just binge television. And then I don't have to really worry about the trouble. Or I don't like what's going on, and so on my device, I've, I've found some sort of brainless game or distraction that I can scroll through and do so I don't have to deal with it. Or maybe it gets into even other harmful things. I don't like, I don't like, like this pain. I don't like this unmet longing, and so... I, I'm 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 gonna I'm gonna pursue gratification in my body, so I'm gonna I'm gonna pursue sexual gratification, or I'm gonna I'm 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 gonna become chemically dependent. Maybe we don't sit out and say that's what I'm gonna do, but it feels better, and we we like the we like feeling better than feeling bad, and so it just creates these patterns, and we've got all a whole string of addictions now. And many of them are, are physical addictions where they're, literally we are physically doing things, but some of them are simply psychological addictions where we've, we've so pursued certain things as a way of, of managing our pain or trying to avoid our pain that we can't have a life or manage a life without them. And, and I think, and this isn't an either or, this is a spectrum, right? I think just about all of us we wrestle with this. And we have a tendency to sort of, our needle sort of points one way or the other. 
but we just kind of try to manage these expectations. We try to manage uh, the, the, the unmet desires and our deep longings and the, the pain that's associated with it. And, and as people of faith, uh, we'll, we'll, we're going to say something specific about this because I believe the Bible and, and the Lord has told us things that are true here. But as people of faith, I'm disappointed in the way that I just, I go about trying to ease my pain the same way that everyone around me in the world does. I sort of believe that, that finding the next good show to occupy my brain is going to be enough. I sort of believe that, that the, a next, the next really good meal, that's going to make it okay. I sort of believe that if I can just, if I can maybe live vicariously through my kids and their accomplishments, and so when they're successful, my dreams live on in them. I'm, I gotta be honest with you, like I'm not doing a very good job of managing it. And I don't think you are either. I think all of us are kind of in this boat where we're wrestling with the best version of ourselves. We're wrestling with what does it mean to have a good life. And so we've been talking about promises, and I need to, I need to move from here before, we're gonna look at some scripture in a minute. If you have your Bible, um, the place we're gonna camp is in Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. But before we, we get that far, <clears throat> we need to understand, and, and we're, we're in the last week of this series on promises, and we need to understand that there's a couple, a couple of reminders about promises before we jump any further. And the first reminder is this, and this is just something that is true. Many promises are conditional. We need to come to terms with this, right? Nearly everything that we promise others is conditional, like with my kids. If, if this, then that. Okay? And then it's up to me to keep that promise. Same thing is true with God. Many of the promises that God makes are conditional. And we've looked at that in this series and we've seen it. And it's, it's true. Um, it's true of the, of, of the promises, particularly some promises we're going to look at today. But the second thing is this that we have to look at and take this seriously is that a promise from God encompasses eternity. Okay? And, and, and to say this sort of bluntly and harshly, we look at death as like the final moment. God doesn't see it that way. Okay, my, my death, the end of my physical life, does not mean the end of God's promises. Okay, this is important. This is huge because we have a tendency to say that if I don't realize it right now in the present tense, it must not be true. And some of us, our cynicism or our pessimism, we've looked around and we've seen it not happen for others and we've said it must not be true. And that puts God into question. It calls God's character into question. And doubt is, God's not afraid of our doubts. He's not afraid of our questions. But oftentimes, our questions have so much to do with perspective. And my perspective that I'm just forced to live with because I don't have another vantage point. My perspective is that, you know, for me, I've got a few decades left. And I start, to, I start to try to strong arm God a bit and say, like, if you don't deliver within that time frame, that's on you, God. Okay? We have to keep in mind these, a couple of these things as we look at God's promises. The other thing that, that just to help you and to, to, to anchor you, put you on a map with where we are today, in this series, we framed this whole thing around a conversation, uh, this whole conversation around the work of of a psychologist named Abraham Maslow, and he did a lot of work, and he built this pyramid, and so 
This is just kind of a reminder, but to tell you where we are. We've looked at, at psychological or physiological needs, sorry, physiological needs that God gives us, needs for safety, love, and belonging. Last week, Mike shared with us about our love for our need for accomplishment. And today, we're at the top of the pyramid for Maslow. We're, we're at the top of the pyramid, and, and it's this, this need for what he calls self-actualization. He wasn't alone in that. And that's, we're, we're getting into like, like really big ticket items in the world of psychology and, and, and human development. But, but he, he, at the top, he, he talks about self-actualization or, or this, I like this, this one if you can see it, because there's a sub, sort of subline on there that says achieving one's potential, becoming the best version of ourselves, okay? And what Maslow argued is that once your physiological needs are met, then you're, you're, you can focus on your need for safety. And once that, those two below are met, it's a hierarchy. They build up the pyramid. Well, his work was, I mean, it's really not that old. It's, it's only been around for, for about half a century, okay? Um, and so there's been a lot of, of rebuttal on this, and, and probably more current models say something. It's probably not a hierarchy like a pyramid. It's probably more like this, that you, we all have needs, and those needs overlap, and, and there's parts of our needs that are related to others, but, but our needs are kind of just a hodgepodge of things, physiological needs, need for safety, need for love, need for status or accomplishment. But then, but then sort of like the dogma or the doctrine in, in our culture today is this, that self-actualization sort of encompasses all of them. Okay, being, you, you can't have self-actualization without having all of these other needs met. You can't be the best version of yourself if your need for love isn't met. Okay? You can't have the best life possible if you have physiological needs. And we're here today to, in many ways, call that into question. Okay? To call it into question. And even ask this question, is self-actualization, is this idea even helpful? Is it even helpful for us to think about it like this? Okay, before we get into Luke 9, look at, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and I want you to see what Paul writes. This is towards the end of his first letter to the church in Corinth, and he says this, For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. Now, check out what Paul says here, okay? He's writing this letter to this church in Corinth, and it was a group of, of really difficult people, okay? And he's referring to himself, obviously, in verse 9, says, I'm the least of the apostles. He says, of all the people sort of preaching Jesus and, and the message of the gospel of, of God's grace through, through the Savior Christ, he said, I'm, I'm low on the totem pole, okay? Now, we look at today and go like, well, but you're Paul, like if we know our New Testament, he wrote more books than anyone else. And like, he seemed to be like the, the apostle of the early church. But his perspective about himself was this. I'm really lowly. Okay, I'm, I struggle. I've got problems, Paul says. He goes on, 1 Corinthians was writ, written kind of early in his, in his sort of life as, a, as a, a teacher and church planter and missionary. He goes on later and he says like, I'm the chief of sinners, like, forget about, uh, take, forget about the apostle list. Just take all of you folks who believe. Like, I'm, I'm at the bottom of everyone. I'm the worst example, he, he says. It's a fascinating view of himself. But look, look, look at verse 10, what he said. How is it, Paul attributes something, and he says, I didn't become what I became because I had a, a formula or a list. I'm not, I, I don't have worth and value because I followed Oprah's 10 steps. Though, there, again, there may not be anything wrong in those steps. He says this. I'm what I am because of the grace of God. I became what I became because God saw fit to do work in me. 
I have the life I have because it was handed to me by God's grace, his goodness. My life is a gift from God, he writes. Wow, what a revolutionary idea. See, ideas like humanism are so in, our, in the water that we drink. There's so much a part of our climate. We, 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 we just breathe them in. We inhale and exhale these ideas. That we don't even think about it. But, but we, we just assume them to be true. But we, we would say like, no, no, no. If, if you work hard enough, if you do the right things, you can be responsible for having your best life. Paul says, nope. Nope. We are what we are because of God's grace. We are what we are because of God's grace. It doesn't mean we don't work hard, right? It doesn't mean we don't take advantage of the next thing. It doesn't mean we don't forgive our neighbor like Oprah's saying. It doesn't mean any of those things. But it simply means our perspective on our life is not one of I'm going to take control of my life and I'm going to make the most of my life and I'm going to make sure that I have the best life possible, the best version of me. He says, instead, everything you've got, everything, every aspect of our life, we are what we are because of the grace of God. It's his grace, and his grace is not in vain. It's not empty. You catch this? And Jesus says it this way in John chapter 10. He says, I'm the door, okay? It's a great image. He has all these I ams. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. And then in verse 10 of John chapter 10, he says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Because I come that they may have life and have it abundantly. Okay? Did you catch this? Jesus just said, I've come that you can have life and it can be good. Really, really good. Abundant life. The Greeks had lots of different words for life. The word here, we've said this from time to time around here, but the word here is zoe. Okay? It's, it's like they would have bios, which is, you know, like biology. It's just alive. It has vi- vitality in it. But they reserve this word zoe for, for like a dynamic kind of life. A life, that, a life where all the parts are, are, are fit together. In many ways, I think John is channeling the, the Jewish idea with early, the earliest Christians being, being Jewish and coming from the Hebrew Bible with the idea of peace and shalom. That there's a life that can be lived where all the pieces fit together. But then he even adds this word abundantly to it. And here's the thing. I, I, I don't know if self-actualization for us as Christians is a great way for us to think about this. But I, I do know that abundance or flourishing is a great way for us to think about a good life. Okay? It's a great way for us to think about this. That we can, we, it is possible for us, and Jesus tells us here, that he's come for this purpose. He's come for this purpose. So that you and I can experience life with abundance. Good life that just overflows. It, it, it's poured into us in ways that we can't even contain it all. Oh, and by the way, he's talking here. He's talking to his disciples. And they're, they're going to die for him in horrific ways when he says this. They're going to have their heads cut off. They're going to be crucified. They're going to be stoned. And he says, I've come that even in the midst of those kinds of circumstances, you can experience the good life, the best version of your life. It's possible. It's possible. But how's it come about? How's it come about? You still have Luke 9? Or if not, go there. Luke chapter 9. 
How do we flourish then? Okay, if this is the case, okay, if this is the case, that, that perhaps there's an idea related to self-actualization, but not exactly the same thing, that the Bible talks about, and it's abundance, it's flourishing, it's, it's having life to the fullest. That exists, and it's, it's, we're told you, you can have it. Christ came for this purpose. How do we access it? How do we access it? And if you're in Luke chapter 9, if you look at verse 18, I want to start there. Luke chapter 9, verse 18. It says this. Now it happened that as he was praying alone, this is Jesus praying alone, the disciples were with him. That's kind of a weird statement, right? He's praying alone, but the disciples are with him. So he's together, but he's the only one praying. Fair enough. And he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist, but others say Elijah and others that one of the prophets of old has risen. Then he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, the Christ of God. Okay? All right. Now, what you're looking at here is, is often referred to as, as the messianic climax of the, the gospel message, okay? Meaning, if you read Matthew, Mark, or Luke, the synoptic messianic comp, uh, climax, that all of the story from Matthew chapter 1, and then this one, let's say Luke chapter 1, it all builds up to this statement. And then from this point on, it's going to move towards Jerusalem where Jesus is crucified and the resurrection occurs three days later. That this, it's like a, a pinnacle moment, this statement right here, okay? So Jesus says this. He says, there's something essential about my identity. Who am I? Okay, who am I? And they have some answers that others say. I love this, right? Because he's, you know, who, does the, who do the crowd say? What are people saying about me? But then he turns it around, right? And he says, verse 20, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And Peter answers, the Christ of God. Now, these are loaded terms, okay? Loaded terms. The title, Christ is a title. It actually means the anointed one, okay? It's the same word. It's, it's translated through a long history of words that, that was meaningful to them. It would have been the same word that, that, that when the Old Testament scriptures, the Hebrew scriptures were translated into Greek, they would use the same word for like when they anointed a king, okay? You are chosen. God's favor rests on you. You are his, his man for this time, this purpose, this mission. And that term, Christos, became in the first century, it became such an important term for them because they were looking for the anointed one from God, okay? This is what they were, that, that all of their, their scriptures Everything that they'd ever been taught, everything that had been preached in the synagogue on the Sabbath, all of it was pointing to, looking for the anointed one. And by the way, still looking today for the anointed one of God. Okay? And the question as to whether or not God has sent, Jehovah has sent the anointed one, is a question that's, that is alive and well for religious Jews to this very day in the rejection of Christ. This question and the answer that Peter provides, this is the hinge that the entire gospel narrative, gospel story moves on, that it swings on. We either say yes to this or we say no. You are the anointed one. You are the answer. You are the one that God's favor and power rests on or you're not. It's, it's the way it is, okay? Now jump down a couple verses and we'll come back to verse 21 in just a minute, but jump down a couple verses because as, as the story goes, as the story goes, Jesus says this. 
Notice the setting change. He said to all. So something in the meantime between verse 16 there at the beginning and verse 23, he's moved from just alone except with his disciples now to all. He says, he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Okay, catch this. Catch this. These are some of the most difficult words that Jesus speaks. Okay? And in in Luke's telling of the gospel, he pins these words right next to that, that, that messianic climax. Jesus is the anointed one. And there are implications of that. And one of the implications is this. If you're going to follow him, this is not a journey of (laughs) self-actualization. You catch it? Because what does he say? If you're going to come after me, this is not about becoming the best version of yourself. Oh, that'll happen. That'll happen. You can have life abundantly. But if we set that out as the goal, if we make that the end of our journey, We'll actually miss it. Did you catch it? What does it gain if you get the whole world, everything that life has to offer? You, you followed all the 10 steps of Oprah's process. You have her home. You have her, and this, I don't, even, I don't know where Oprah stands with the Lord, but I'm just saying, what if you gain all of that? What if all of those people that you've superimposed your face over their life and said, that's the life I want. That's why I'm working so hard. That's why I'm doing the right things. That's why. And what Jesus says in that is, what good is it to get all that? What good? What good is it to have all that and yet to lose your very soul? To lose what makes you alive? Wow. You see, it's not a journey of self-discovery. It's a journey of self-denial. Jesus says, Jesus says, you've got stuff. There's stuff in your life. It's it's yours. Like, you you can clench your fist and say, I'm not giving it up. But that's not the path that follows me, he says. The path that follows me is one where we deny ourselves. We take up our cross. This is prior to Jesus' crucifixion, but they certainly get the image, right? Right? that we carry, we carry our own, the, the, the fragility of our own life with us daily. The, the, today is not mine. That to have a good life doesn't mean that I've got ownership of today and I've taken responsibility of today and I'm the master of my own. No, that's not what it means. Not according to Christ. Because if you want to come after me, deny yourself, Take up your cross and do it. Come with me. And that's, it is, I'm not here to be flippant about this. I'm not here to minimize it. This is, this is hard. This is, this is it. Like, this is the, this is the mission. It's all-encompassing. Everything. All the time. 
But I think even Jesus speaks into that because go back to verse 21, right? Because look at what happened. This is right after Peter says, you are the Christ of God. Jesus said he strictly charged and commanded them to tell, to tell this to no one, saying, the Son of Man, that's Jesus, must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. You see, what Jesus was saying to them and he says to us today, when he says, follow me, he's not saying, just do as I've told you. He's saying, watch what I've done and what I, to them what I'm about to do. You can do it too. You see, Jesus, like, Jesus, Jesus' wealth and wisdom make, makes Oprah look like no one. He had it all. And he set that aside. And he came to the earth. And he took on the pain of this life. And he went so far as to to take that pain all the way to the cross. So when he says, deny yourself, this is the path to abundance. This is the path to really gaining life. He's not asking something of us that he didn't do himself. He's asking us to follow in his steps. And you see, this is, the promise is, this is, this path leads to life. You have to trust me, he says. You have to believe me. Oh, I know, your body's going to die. At some point, it's going to wear out and die. If it doesn't happen sooner than even just wearing out, it's going to happen. But you have to trust me. I'm going ahead of you. I'm going to my death, he says. And, you know, here's the amazing thing. It's included right here. Right? On the third day, be raised. You see, this is the promise of new life, full life abundant life. This is flourishing. It doesn't mean we can't experience good things in the here and now. It doesn't mean that at all. Sure we can. God's grace falls on us every day in ways that we couldn't have anticipated. We have real joy in our, in our daily lives. I don't want to minimize that. But it's almost impossible to not minimize it in light of the reality that this is true. That this life is so small compared to the eternal promise of life with God. That every accomplishment that we, can, that we can have, everything that we can do, all the good stuff, pales in comparison to the journey of self-denial, of taking up our cross and really gaining our life that Jesus went ahead of us and took on himself. This is the real deal. So what do we do with this? We come to this realization. To flourish is to die. This is, right? This is a paradox, isn't it? This is a paradox. Because everything in my flesh says this. If I'm going to flourish, I'm going to live as long as possible. I'm going to put off death until forever. And again, death is an enemy. We're not supposed to embrace it in the sense of like go seeking after it. but it's death to my desires. It's death to my flesh. It's death to my belief that I'm in charge of my life. It's death to that grip that I have on what God has given to me that I don't want to let go of. 
And so I want to close with just a couple questions, okay? And the first is this. What, what do we have? What do you have? God has graced you with things. What are they? What is it that God's put in your life? He's, he's given each of us opportunity. He's given each of us people in our life. He's, what, now, yours is going to look different from mine and from the person sitting next to you, but what do you have? What is it that God's given to you? And he's given, he's given to each of us some things in small measure, some things in large measure. He's given some great, great ability to speak. He's given others very limited ability. He's given some people great resources financially. He's given other people very little. He's given some people a wide net of influence over others and others very little. But, but you have something. And some of, some of you have more. You've got a couple things. And there's a pattern that, we, that we've talked about all morning, but there's a pattern of taking the things that we've been given by God and trying to, to use them in ways that make our lives better. And we've defined that as good. But the second question is this, how can we renounce our claim on those things, on our life? This is Luke 9, 23. How can we, how can we deny ourselves in those places? and repurpose what he's given us for all the work of serving him through serving our neighbors. How can, we, how can we do this in such a way? How can we, what has God given you, and how can it be used in ways that deny the benefit for me personally and yet multiply the benefit to those around me? This is the path. All the things that Jesus had, all the claim that he had to the authority, to the power, to, to, to the cattle on a thousand hills were his. And he renounced them for the purpose of laying down his life for others. And then said, follow me in this path. Follow me in this path I've gone before you. Is it possible for us? Can we do it? We are. We're getting ready to enter into a season of time around here. If you're new with us, you're here at the right time. <laughs> Between now and about the holidays, we're going to be asking these questions repeatedly. I'm sorry. If you didn't like them today, I'm sorry. You're going to hear them again in different forms. But what's God given us that we can simply open our hands to it with it and, ju and just give it back? What has he done? Because he's promised us. He's promised us that this is real life, that if we, if we continue to grab it and hold it and squeeze it, we'll wind up losing it. We can't keep it. But if we're willing to deny it and release it, that we get more than we ever had in the first place, abundance, flourishing. I really encourage you, don't wait for Adventum. Jump in a group this week so we can talk about this. Okay. Let's pray. God, we're, um, we're thankful for the things that you do give us, and we want to acknowledge your grace in our life, that, that it's, it is you and it's yours. Um, and yet at the same time, I confess, God, that I just want, I, I, I want it to be me and mine. Um, and so, God, for, forgive me where my faith is weak. Show us. Show us what it means to, 
to let go of these things that we've, we've held on to, that we believe are going to give us life. God, help us as we, we walk through these things together, as we do this with others. Um, give us eyes to see, eyes to see what you've, um, what you've granted us and, um, and, and the ways that we are just clutching it with all of our, our strength. And God, we, we give you our time, this time now, because we, we know it's yours anyway. And we want, to, um, we want to experience you in it. And we pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, I'm up here alone still. Okay? So I'm dismissing you. Tonight, prayer right here. We want to pray about this season that's coming up. Two weeks, okay? Two weeks. At Venom Begins, Sunday morning service and Sunday evening with ice cream. You don't want to miss it. I heard some flavor options earlier this week, and I'll be here. I never miss ice cream. Okay? All right. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you in groups this week.